I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about relationships, but before we jump into this week's episode, I just want to apologize. I did not do an episode last week. We are having some construction done on our home, some remodeling, and it was really loud. So this week I'm back and we're ready to go. Um, And what I wanted to really reflect upon is relationships. I'm running a family and friends support group every Thursday evening at 8.30 p.m. EST. And really in preparation for this group, I get to thinking about the other side of things, right? Like how does it feel for a loved one to be in a relationship with someone with borderline personality disorder? And I mean, obviously, we all know it's tough for us, right? The people who have the hyperbolic temperament, who struggle with dysregulation, who are a little quirky, awkward, um, people who are, you know, intense. We already know that life is hard for us because, you know, the world isn't built for hyperbolic emotions, intensity. But oftentimes, we are so... um, intent on seeking validation for how hard life is for us, we miss the cruelty that occurs for family, friends, and loved ones. And I know that this episode or me saying these things may not go over very well within you. It might not sit well with you and it might be uncomfortable. Just as the episode about tyranny so long ago when I first started this episode didn't sit well but yet has nodes and flares of truth. It's just true. And so today I want you to listen with an open mind and I want you to try to absorb the information that I'm going to speak on when it comes to relationships. My position on an individual with a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, EUPD, CPTSD, and what have you, that they become tyrannical in an episode because they are driven by emotions and trauma remains the same. In the moment where emotions go, they start to rev and they go from zero to 60. The ability to understand the character and to conceptualize the big picture right, and, and, and to love the person right in front of you, it turns off. Snap, just like that. And what then happens is a tantrum, an effort to control, an effort to smother, an effort to get validation, really just franticness, right? Chaos. And individuals with, you know, BPD, they'll do anything to get the person in front of them while they're in that emotional state to do the thing that they want them to do, whether it be stay whether it be hold them, whether it be attend to only them, whatever it is. And, you know, part of the problem here is that the behaviors are often cruel in the eyes of the individual that's neurotypical and cruel in general if we look at that definition, right? What if there was a time where, you know, a a partner of an individual with borderline personality disorder is saying, like, I love you, right? 
I love you so much. You're like, you don't love me. You don't care about me. How can you say you love me? How can you say you care about me if you do this? And the individual, you know, the the neurotypical, let's say partner, just partner, you know, never mind the labels is like, I, I hate when you say that I don't love you and I don't care about you. And then, you know, BPD brain says, but you don't, I know you don't because blah, 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 blah. Here are all the reasons. Here are all the things from the past that prove that you don't love me as much as I love you. You're trying to hurt me. You're going to leave me. You're going to cheat on me. And the individual is standing there just in love with you and just blindsided, gaslit and confused because now They have to question their own reality. Oh, well, maybe I don't love this person. I think I do. I want to. He, she, you're just beautiful. They're a beautiful person. But they're telling me that I don't love them. So, I mean, do I not? I mean, there's nothing I can say right now. Maybe I'll continue to try to defend myself, right? So say, but I do love you. Like, I do all these things for you. I show up for you. I choose you. I'm not out with my friends right now. I'm not doing this right now. I'm right here with you and I'm choosing you. But no matter what I do, it's not enough. It's never enough. The individual, you know, with BPD or the BPD brain is like, doesn't even listen to that. That is not even something that's like processing in these these episodes, these moments. It's like, no, you're the problem. You did the thing. And sometimes it's not even relationship-based stuff, right? How often does the BPD brain get activated with little things, right? Like when your partner comes home and, you know, wants to go to the store with you. And you don't want to go to the store. But instead of saying, I'm tired and I don't really feel like going to the store, you might go, what? You expect me to do everything? Well, all right, have an episode. So oftentimes, we look at the validation that we are seeking. We discount how just deeply painful it is for the person that we're in relationship with who actually does love us, who loyal is loyal to the, that word, who loves us and cares about us. And they try and try to help us, but there's never enough help that can be offered And after the episode is over, they are left standing there going, oh my gosh, I feel trapped. I feel smothered. I feel controlled. I feel depressed. I'm losing sight of my reality. She's saying that I don't love her. She's saying that I'm going to leave her. I'm doing everything. I've left my friends. I don't even go and hang out. She's saying that if I work all week, then on Friday night, I need to hang out with her and her alone. And then Saturday and Sunday as well, because I'm going to be away for work the week after that. And she's saying that I don't spend enough time with her. And so I do love her and she's saying I don't love her. So I better do more things that indicate that I love her. And then the partner will do more things and more and more to the point where they are at your beck and call and you don't even realize it in BPD brain. And maybe they've given up really a good chunk of what they love just to prove to you that it's okay and they know that you're broken and they know you need love and they're right there. Maybe it's not a partner, it's a parent giving up everything to say, okay, I made mistakes, I'm here. 
I'm trying. And BPD Brain says, hmm, but you're not trying good enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. If you're dating someone, you say, I want to know when we're going to have a stable relationship. When? If you believe in marriage, right? When are we getting married? When? What's the day and the date? And when are we having children? And how many children are we having? And what kind of place are we going to be living in? What's retirement looking like? Who, you know, in five years, where are we, where are we having the holidays at? <laughs> right? Because, you know, and I'm laughing because that it's true, right? And it sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth. But if you're in BPD brain, you understand what I'm saying, right? We want to know what the future is going to hold. And we want to be assured that the future is going to hold something good for us. Stability, safety, staying power. We want for people to never leave, right? But no matter how much the person in our life tries to show us and tell us how much they love us, we don't see it. And more than that, the cruel part comes in is that we don't see it and we say that we love them, but our love doesn't look like love. We don't honor their character. We don't even see them. And the more I do this work, the more evident that becomes to me because I think I read messages that people send me or I'll read or I'll speak with partners or I'll hear accounts of what happened. And, you know, the BPD brain is just so set on the small details. They're not seeing the big picture, right? Like sometimes the partners are such solid people that they'll say to me, they'll be like, I know that this isn't normal, that I am allowing my person to just, you know, tell me that they're going to commit suicide if I go walk the dog. And I know that that's something that like, I don't need to allow. No one will support me. My friends and family, they want me to leave this person. But I'm just, I'm calling you because I'm desperate and I want so deeply to help this person. But I don't know how. And in those scenarios, it's really the issue is that the person that this individual is dating, the BPD brain, doesn't want to see this individual as a whole person. Everything that they're doing, everything that they're losing, how loyal, how honest, how much integrity these individuals have, they miss all of that, especially in an episode. And we attach fancy labels to it and we say that we're going to be chronically ill and really it's this you know, inability to see that other person, to understand who they are, to see that big picture, to see their character. So I wanted to bring that up today. I also wanted to talk about big picture stuff in like a more concrete way, because I'm realizing that this is something that I have a difficult time with when it come, comes to, I don't know, most things, right? I have to work really hard at seeing the big picture of things. Now, it's pretty cool that I've learned to be able to do that sort of in the context of, oh my gosh, that's Katja, our German shepherd barking. So what I was saying is it's cool to be able to do this within the context of like coaching, of my own relationship, of other people's relationships. So I've gotten really good at being able to look at that big picture, but we're getting our kitchen redone. Just some like repair to make it look a little bit more update updated. And we had some come in and they're, you know, kind of envisioning everything, like the way that it's going to look. And we're in the midst of construction now, like I said a minute ago, right? And so, you know, I can't conceptualize what the final image will look like. That's a deficit for me. 
And I can use this example for the kitchen because it's something that I think is, I could draw this analogy to relationships, right? But with the kitchen, you know, you know, the other day Jay's standing in there and he's like looking at the ceiling and he's looking at this space and they like knocked one of the walls down to make it a little bigger. And all I see is like drywall, dust, it smells, I can't eat in there, right? And I'm just seeing like construction and discomfort. But he's looking at the ceiling, he's got this big smile on his face and he's like, can you see it? <laughs> it's going to be beautiful. It's just going to be so nice. Aren't we just so blessed? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, we I I I believe that it's going to be awesome, right? I'm I'm, you know, I believe and I do. Like that's honest. I believe that it's going to be awesome. But honestly, Jay, I really can't see what you see. The designer comes in and he's the same thing, right? He comes in and he's like such a nice guy down to earth. And he's like, can you see it now? And I'm like, I want so badly to go. Yes. No, not yet. <laughs> Every day. Not yet. Can't really see it yet. Because I can't see that big picture. So maybe you don't have that deficit in BPD brain with something like a kitchen. Maybe you're awesome at visualizing when something's taken apart someone else's like idea or big picture. But maybe you aren't as awesome at doing that when it comes to the character of the person you're in relationship with. So how do I enjoy this process of construction with the kitchen? Well, it's kind of silly and a little embarrassing, but this is what this podcast is all about, right? Vulnerability and being raw. Well, I have to look on my Pinterest at the color that was chosen, the paint color for the wall. And then I have to look at another tiny detail, which is like the handles that will go on the cabinets when they're resurfaced. And I have to then put the handle together with the color and I have to look at them side by side. And then I look at the countertop and I look at the countertop with the wall color with the handle. So I'm looking at the details and I'm hanging on to the details so that I can share in the excitement of the construction project, so that I can share in the excitement that my family has about this beautiful thing that they can imagine that I can't because I want to connect and I want to see that big picture. So even though I have a deficit, I don't sit around thinking about my deficit. Oh, I can't see it. This is horrible. Jay can see it. I can't see it. What's it going to be like? I'm so anxious. I trust that it's going to be awesome. And I trust that my partner, because I trust him, he'll fill in the gaps for me. And I trust in myself. I trust that I can handle the chaos of a home with a little bit of destruction or construction. And I trust that I can handle the smells. And I trust that I will be able to be grateful for whatever is given to me because I am a grateful person. So I can get through it in that sense, right? I can not see the big picture and I can look at the details and I can connect. With relationship stuff, when I had a difficult time conceptualizing Jay as a whole person, I did the same thing. I didn't have to look at paint color and appliances and, and cabinet handles, but I did look at incidences, I did look at things that he did. I, I searched for them. If, I, if, if he didn't text me back 
for example, and I was starting to go on this, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, is he going to text me back? Is he going to leave me? Is he going to cheat on me? Is he with someone else? Oh, what is he doing, right? I would then deliberately in my mind go, okay, let's figure out whether or not there is even evidence to support this. Who is this guy? And then I would remember a time where I was sick and he worked from 4 a.m. all into the afternoon and he was tired and he went all the way out of his way to the store, drove a half hour to come see me and then went back to work just so that he can bring me some soup. And I would remember the times where he couldn't text me because he was in the middle of a meeting or he was running a boot camp class. And it's just not appropriate to text me in class. So I would be patient and I would wait and that didn't work because I would get restless and then it would come back again. So I would go and I would exercise and that didn't work because it would come back again. So then what I started to do is I started the path to find things to do with my time that I actually enjoyed that I could then share with me whenever he did text me back. Because if I didn't, then my response to that was, you didn't text me back quick enough. And it would be a very negative kind of interaction. So why am I telling you all of this? One, I'm saying, think about the person that you're in relationship with, whether it be your mother, father, grandfather, brother, sister, person you're dating, or even yourself in the mirror. This does apply. People ask me all the time, well, I don't have a J. Okay. I understand that. That's why I'm here and I'm giving this information to you. So what do you do if you don't have a J? Do you sit around and saying, well, I don't have a J? I don't have a corrective relationship, so I'm doomed. I mean, you could do that because we are all given the beautiful gift of free will. Or you can take some of the things that I'm saying, reach out, ask us for help, ask us for support you know, reach out to another clinician that can support you if you wanted a more of a therapeutic type style. There's so many things you can do. Get books on love, get books on, you know, how to love yourself or just live. So what did I do when I found myself kind of in those modes? I would go and I would live, take classes. I would go and exercise. I found a CrossFit gym because CrossFit has community to it. So I would do things like that. Right. And this story, you know, I really hope it's relatable so that you can choose not to wallow in the fact that you are different and you can accept that you're different. Take the good from what differences it is that you have and turn towards the person you're in relationship with or towards yourself in the mirror and you stop being cruel. Well, I don't know how. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how my, I can't handle my episodes. I can't control my episodes. You can control your episodes. Your episodes don't happen like a trigger. Okay. I know it feels that way. I am not trying to invalidate anyone out there. What I'm saying is if that you become more mindful and you pay attention, it doesn't happen like a trigger. That's all. A trigger implies that I have a gun in my hand and I pull a trigger and bam gun goes off. The minute I pull the trigger, there is no time in between. An episode happens at an itch, meaning there's a moment where you begin to feel uncomfortable. Maybe you wake up anxious. That's your itch. And then maybe you avoid it and you suppress it and you keep putting it away and putting it away. And then it just kind of festers and it bubbles. 
And then midday, you send a text to someone and they don't reply. And oh my gosh, that anxiety becomes like angst and paranoia and, and maybe even borderline a little rage, right? Bordering on rage. And then the person you're in relationship with comes home from work. They walk in the door. Their shoes are dirty. They walk on your clean carpet that you just vacuumed and bam, rage episode. And you start railing them about how you do this and that and this and that and they don't love you and blah, 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 blah. Why didn't they answer your text? And you just start taking all of that intense emotion, you put it out on them and at the end of it, you say, I can't control my episodes. I was triggered. I was triggered because you know it's important to me to have a clean rug and you shouldn't have put them shoes on that rug, those shoes on that rug. But that's not true because you were anxious when you woke up. And if you accepted who you are and if you accepted the way that the brain works inside of this BPD kind of sphere, right, then you would understand that you're revving up and you would be mindfully aware of the things that rev you up to the bubble burst or the quote unquote trigger. Are there instances where there's a trigger? I'm sure that there are. So if you're out there, I'm not talking in black and white terms here. I'm saying in general, if you search, you can find that your emotions ramp up to the episode and you need to be willing to catch yourself before that bubble starts to form. But first you have to be aware of when it does and you have to change your physical state. I don't know how many times I've heard the tip skill doesn't work for me. In the same breath, DBT is like the thing, but the tip skill doesn't work for me. It works for everyone else. It works. It is undeniable that the tip skill works. If you change your physical state when you are emotionally intense, you cannot feel the same level of intensity. Does it work after? Let's say you take a cold shower. Mm, maybe. It depends on what happens after that, which is why recalling the individual that you're in relationships character is really important. Because if you use the tip skill and you take a cold shower and you come out of the shower and you go right back into the kitchen where they are, you just start railing them on, it, on them again, then it doesn't work. Now, does it? It requires more. There's more to it. There's loving the person you're in relationship with for who they are. So I want you all to get a piece of paper and write down the character traits of the people that you love. Write them down because when your emotions go from zero to 60, they no longer exist. Those character traits, it becomes the people that abused you. And now you're treating them like a they're like your abuser, but you're actually abusing them. And then they're standing there like, why are you hurting me? I have even heard of incidences of very calm partners and they lay their hands on the individual with borderline personality disorder in the middle of an episode. And they are so blown away by the level of anger that that person can arouse in them. And I say, how can you be blown away by that? You're trapped. There's nothing that you can do right in those moments because the person the BPD brain is talking to isn't you. It's someone else, some other evil version of you. So I want you to take into consideration love again. 
And I really want you to start to try to love the person you're in relationship with when you're not in an episode. It's incredibly important to love other people, lead with love. Love supersedes all else, love and connection. If you think about like the purpose of life, right? Part of the reason why having BPD is just so awful and disturbing is because we can't have access to the kind of love and connection that we perceive everyone else to have, right? Because love and connection are things that bring purpose and meaning to life. And it starts with love in the mirror, love of other people, a spiritual type of love. Lead with love. So how do you do that? Well, there are five ways this week that you can begin to working work on leading with love. Now listen, oftentimes I'll receive podcasts or emails from people that listen to the podcast and like, oh, I tried the things you talked about. It didn't work for me. Okay, well, I'm very much aware of the fact that there are things that I would will tell you on a podcast for a little bit of time each week that they may not work fully. And it's because I don't know your individual circumstance. And it's also because it is one step, one detail, the color of paint in your recovery journey. So instead of working on having multiple things, you can do a thousand things in recovery, a thousand things. Every day you can wake up and get revved up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to read my DBT skills book. I'm going to do skills. I'm going to do my moral compass work, everything. And then it fizzles out very quickly because it's so hard to be consistent in everything. So instead of being trying to be consistent in a thousand things, I want you to pick one thing and do it excellently. And that one thing that I want you to try to do excellently this week is I want you to love self and others. And I want you to start doing these five things. Number one, be mindful. We need to connect more deeply with our lives and the people in them rather than living this detached, disconnected existence. So how do you connect more deeply with others? Invite people over for dinner. Volunteer somewhere where there are underprivileged people if you have social anxiety. Go to a soup kitchen. Bring some food to the homeless. Bring some coats. It's the winter time in a lot of areas. Go and volunteer. Connect more deeply to others. Put yourself in positions where you can be kind to other people. When you go in the community, smile. Be mindful. Make eye contact. Understand that you're not the only one with anxiety. It is 2021. In a pandemic. In a world of chaos, people need love. Be mindful, look up, connect, be approachable. Step two, be approachable. It's important for people to feel safe approaching us, right? We talk about safety. I'm not safe. This isn't safe. This isn't a safe space for me. Are you providing a safe space for the people around you? Make a concerted effort to become less exclusive in your interactions with other people and be more welcoming to those who seek you out. If someone wants to talk to you, welcome them. 
If you're in class and you feel uncomfortable, you only want to talk to one person, smile and just say hi to someone else. Be mindful in the way that you're moving about your day and sort of create this fear of safety for other people. Anyone talking to you, they're going to be okay because you're not going to let them feel unsafe because you, as someone with trauma and emotional intensity, know how horrible it feels because you've been in situations where people have made you feel unsafe. So deliberately be approachable and create safety for others. Step three this week, I want you to be full of grace. Be graceful. What does that mean? I want you to be willing to relate to others in a less judgmental way. People with the BPD brain can be so insecure that anything new or different or status quo is just wrong right? We just marginalize ourselves. I remember being in high school and I had to have, you know, punk rock clothes on because I wasn't the same. And anybody who was normal, quote unquote, right? They were all just horrible people. And I see that now, like the whole Karen thing, like what's wrong with someone who's happy and just wants to live a good life? Nothing. But because you can't have that, there's a judgment there, right? So again, speaking in general terms, be full of grace. Be less judgmental. Understand that people have pain. You don't want people to judge you. So be great. Be full of grace. Be bold. I know it's scary to step out there and to go and connect more deeply with people. That's why I say go and help the homeless serve an underprivileged population. It's really hard to be socially anxious when you're around people who are wanting, who don't have enough food to eat, who don't have enough clothing, who don't have anything. It's very difficult to think about yourself in those scenarios. And finally, the last thing that I want you to do to begin to lead with love is... I want you to be self-giving. We need to become less self-absorbed and more invested in those around us. So how do you do that? Well, ask yourself, are you someone who spends all day long in their DBT workbook doing DBT skills or, you know, in their BPD workbook or in therapy or in their partial program and hospital program or at school or even at work or whatever you're doing. And then when your partner walks in the door, you just unload on them. Tell them everything that you did during the day and just like this running train of impulsive thought. If that's you, okay, that's fair. I'm sure that sometimes when you're excited and happy, the person you're in a relationship with loves that because they love how happy you are and how intense and energetic you are and sometimes not, especially when it's negative. But if we're trying to lead with love and we want to be self-giving, we want to be less self-absorbed. So we want to ask people about themselves. We want to ask our partners, how was your day? Say, hi, how was your day? What did you do today? Ask questions. Ask them, what was the fav- what's your favorite part of your day? Ask them what they're grateful for. Go for a walk after dinner. Let them talk to you. If they don't want to talk, maybe they just like the silence because, you know, we talk a lot. Most of us do. And if you have more quiet BPD and you internalize, ask questions. 
Point out landmarks on your walk. Talk about the stars. Talk about nature. Try to be interested in other people. If you're not in a relationship, go and get to know someone. At work, smile, say hi to to people. If you're out in the community or you go to a restaurant and the waitress or waiter is serving you, say to that person, how are you? Remember their name, especially if it's a place that you're going to keep coming back to. Shift your focus. I know it's hard to do these things. That's what I want you to do for this week. In recovery, I want you to lead with love. I know that these five steps aren't going to fix everything, and they're not supposed to. Don't do a thousand things in recovery and fizzle out. Do one thing with excellence. Love others. Love yourself. All right. Thank you so much for listening and for your support of this podcast. Stay tuned for a brief Q&A. And I'll talk to you all next week for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Hi, Rose. This is Roberta from Rome, Italy. I've been listening to all your podcasts and now I'm re-listening it from the beginning. I'm 36 years old and only a couple of months ago I was finally diagnosed with BPT. Listening to your podcast really opened my mind. You do something amazing for borderline people and that is to never lose hope and also do steps to recover. Unfortunately, I was misdiagnosed for 18 years. My mother also had psychiatric issues and since I grew up with only her, I absorbed everything as a child. She was verbally abusing and on a daily basis, never hugged me or kissed me, and always made me feel. Hi, Rose. This is Till Roberta, part two. I was first diagnosed with anxiety around the age of 18. I tried to kill myself, and I went to a fake doctor, which prescribed me uh, Lexotan and... Cipralex and I got in a very very many many troubles because that was not the right news and taking all that medicines just made me numb. Then I was diagnosed of bipolar disorder till a few months ago. The list of medicines they gave me was endless. I gained 25 kilograms. My body can't take any more medicines. My question to you is... So my question is, since I still take mood stabilizer, antidepressive and pills to sleep, how can I stop being on medications? Here in Italy, it's very, very hard to find some qualified doctor for doing dialectical behavior therapy and even if there's some doctor that does it the prices are over the moon and I cannot afford that so yeah 
That's my question. I can stop. How can I stop taking pills to sleep and all other medicines? Thank you very much, Rose. Much love. Hi, Roberta. I just wanted to say thank you so much for submitting your questions. And gosh, it sounds so very similar to, you know, some of my story. And I know a lot of people can, you know, will be able to relate to what you're saying. So first, I just want to say I am so happy you were able to find the podcast and, and you found hope because that was always my original goal. And it will remain my mission is to provide hope for people, whoever's ready to hear some of the things that I'm saying. And I know that there are lots of different ways to say what I'm saying. So if you're listening and it's been helpful for you, I'm just so honored to be a part of your recovery journey. Now you asked about how to sleep without your medications. And I mean, it's, there's so many answers here, right? And I think the, one of the biggest you know, issues with sleeping or not sleeping is one, we really become dependent on the medication. I know I used to take a medication called trazodone and I had it in my head that I like couldn't sleep without it. And I really couldn't. So first I will say it takes time once you stop taking a sleep medication to get adjusted and acclimated to how it feels to have to fall asleep naturally. That would be one and two, you know, because I have so much energy and I think, you know, many people with this hyperbolic, BPD, brain, lots of emotions where we have a lot of energy and we can often feel exhausted, yet we still have all of this energy because we are not physically exhausted. We are emotionally exhausted. So I'm a big proponent of exercise and also a bedtime routine like good sleep hygiene is often something that I'll recommend. So and just to recap a little bit, make sure that you're moving your body enough in a given day so that you're physically tired. That would be one. Second thing is, is continue to work on your identity development. Do things that form you into the person that you want to become so that you are tired during the day. When you find yourself emotionally exhausted and too tired to want to move, go for a walk, uh, you know, what have you, I just encourage you to remember that emotional exhaustion and physical exhaustion are not the same and to really step outside of your comfort zone there. And also remember that the medication that helps you sleep can be addictive. It can, your brain can get used to that. Your body can get used to that. So if you do decide under medical supervision to not take that medication, you do want to give yourself time to acclimate in a be bedtime routine helps as well. So turning the lights off, not having screens, and even um, you can read if you're able. A lot of the times people tell me that they can't read because it makes them fall asleep or they can't hold their attention. So if you're someone who falls asleep when they're reading, that would be great. You can also get guided imagery or guided meditation. So you can sort of have that meditation running as you try to sleep with the lights off and pair that with deep breathing. None of these things are easy. They require patience on your part and they require hard work because it takes time to learn how to calm your body to be in that state.
So again, I thank you so much for reaching out and I hope some of those skills and strategies really help you. Also, I am Italian as well. And so my family is from Italy, from Calabria. And one of the things that I mentioned before on the podcast that really helps me is actually eating more of a Mediterranean diet without gluten and wheat and dairy most of the time. And so maybe that's something to consider if a lot of your diet is based in pastas and breads, maybe some of that contributes to blood sugar dysregulation, which can also cause issues with sleep and health and some other things. So not knowing much about your health, I really do hope that that hope that that's helpful. And again, I appreciate so much your kind words. Oftentimes, my motivation to continue lay solely in the people that are encouraging me. Because like I said in this episode, we want to lead with love. Love encourages other people. It motivates them and it gives them hope. All right. Thank you again so much for your questions. Keep sending your questions in and we'll see you next week for another episode. for listening. That was From Borderline the Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeeterstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. Next time on the show, we're going to continue our eating disorder series. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So... If you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD. 